I invite you to find Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 in your Bibles. And as you're finding that, Anna Glosson is going to come and read our passage for us this morning. Would you please stand, if you're able, as an expression of honor for the reading of God's Word? And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember, then, what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who is in ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you. You may be seated. Before we begin and receive this passage in sermon form, would you pray with me? Let's ask for God's help. Father, you've given us your word. You've given us your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word and help us to see it and hear it and receive it. We just ask for that help right now. Help me to serve your people well and proclaim your truth clearly without distraction or distortion. Give us all soft hearts. Let us receive it and be renewed by it and strengthened and given the wisdom we need as a church to proceed forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. Um, If you may not recall some of you uh, haven't been with us that we are in revelation this advent season it's an odd book to be in for advent but two years ago we prayerfully found our way to it and we've been moving forward passage by passage each sunday of advent for the last two years where we find ourselves now each passage is an introductory letter to a real church jesus told the apostle john to send these letters to these churches And we are listening in on these, trying to listen well to Jesus so that we can honor him this Christmas. So part of that is seeing him as he truly is, which we've talked about each Sunday leading up to this. And we're seeing a picture of Jesus as just unspeakably glorious and powerful. He is absolutely in control over his church, and he is absolutely worthy of our faith and our allegiance. He is not only a sentimental memory of when he was born in humility. He is now our living, reigning, ruling Lord. That's who we follow, that's who we worship, and that's who we want to listen to right now so that this Christmas we don't get so caught up in the gift-giving and trappings of the season that we forget him. We want to give him good gifts this Christmas. We want to give him what he wants this Christmas above all else. And so we've been trying to listen well, And we'll do that again this Sunday. And I just want to read verse 1 again. This is the first part of verse 1. 
as we're letting Scripture renew our perception of who Jesus is. This is Jesus speaking. He says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, I won't spend a ton of time on these images here, but it seems like from my research this week that this this reference to the seven spirits of God is a reference to the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is the one who sent the Holy Spirit to his people when he left. Jesus is the one who dispenses that spiritual power to his church. He's sovereign and in control over that. The, these uh, stars represent the angels, which might actually be angels representing these Christians in these different areas, or it could be human messengers for the churches. The main point for you this morning to know is that Jesus is sovereign over all these things. He is absolutely in control, and that's who we're listening to. We want to keep reading and see what does Jesus want from his churches. And what we see in this passage is really singular. We've had sort of lists of things. This, for the church in Sardis, and what we're going to glean from this passage is really one thing. Jesus wants life from his churches. Jesus wants his churches to be genuinely spiritually alive. So let's read on the the next part of verse 1. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation for being alive, but you are dead. So Jesus knows his churches. He knows his church's works, and he knows this church in Sardis. And he knows that they have a reputation or a name for being alive, being lively. But in reality, they are dead. Now, it'll be clearer as we work through the passage exactly what he means by alive and dead. But for now, we just need to stop and take note of the fact that it is possible for a church to seem alive and yet actually be dead. It is possible to look at a church from the outside and for it to look lively and vibrant and healthy and strong, but in reality, be none of those things, to actually be full of spiritual death. And that's what Jesus sees here in the church of Sardis. It this topic always reminds me of a sitcom that I saw when I was a kid. You know how you'll watch movies or sitcoms as a kid and just weird little single things will stand out and you never forget them for the rest of your life? Just incidental little jokes and things like that. There's one from a, a sitcom. Um, I'm not even going to name the sitcom because it's not a good sitcom that I want to be associated with. It's not even one that I remember watching, really. But I remember this one scene and this family lived in kind of a pigsty sort of house. It was always a mess. Um, that's part of the, what made this family funny on the sitcom. And out of the blue, somebody was coming to visit. I don't remember who it was, but it was someone that they wanted to appear more presentable before they got there. And they only had like five minutes before they were going to be at their door. And so the family starts scrambling, and the mother and father are yelling at the kids, just throw the stuff wherever so they can't see it. Put it in the tub behind the shower curtain, in the drawers, in the closet, under the beds. It doesn't matter. And I, what, I, what stands out, what I remember, is the father saying, we're going for the illusion of clean. Like, don't waste time actually cleaning. We don't have time for that. We're going for the illusion of clean. Sardis apparently was going for the illusion of life. Jesus doesn't just want the illusion of spiritual life in his churches. He sees through that, 
He wants real, genuine, spiritual life that comes only through the transformation that we gain through trusting in him as our Savior and Lord, through receiving the Holy Spirit, through living by his word. That's what he's looking for. As human beings, we are tempted to settle for the illusion of life in a church. But Jesus will not settle for that. He is not pleased by that. And if you're thinking that we would never do that, and if you're thinking certainly Pastor Matt would never do that, I would do that. And in fact, I almost did that this very morning. I usually walk to the church because I live so close, but it was so cold this morning, and I was just so tired, and I just didn't want to walk to the church, so I drove the van up here, and as I parked the van, even though I've been studying this passage all week, do you know what thought went through my mind as I parked the van? Well, this will be one more car in the parking lot, and it'll look a little bit more like we've got people here this morning. If I, as your pastor, can think that way, after studying this very passage all week, we are absolutely vulnerable to falling into the same trap that these Christians in Sardis fell into. It wouldn't matter if I borrowed cars from the neighborhood and filled up the parking lot, and everybody that drove by Albemarle Road thought, wow, Doolin's Grove must be experiencing a great revival. If, if we are not actually experiencing revival in our hearts through our faith in Jesus Christ. It is empty and hollow and meaningless, and it does not impress Jesus at all. We're going for true life. So as we are wanting to honor Jesus Christ this Christmas and give him what he wants, not get so wrapped up in what we want, but give him what we want, we need to pursue vibrancy as a church. Because we can see right here in the text that that's something that pleases our Lord and our Savior. That's something that he wants. So let's be a vibrant church. Let's read verses 2 through the first part of verse 3 and get a sense of what it would look like to pursue Jesus-honoring life as a church. Verse 2. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. And we'll stop there for a moment. So in Jesus' instructions to the church in Sardis, we can glean a lot. We can learn a lot about what it means to either be spiritually alive as a church or spiritually dead, to be pursuing spiritual life or to be dying as a church. And there's five imperatives or five commands, verbs, that he wants his people to be attending to. And let's just look at them in turn. They're all pretty straightforward. Nothing's too complex in this part of the passage. First, to this dying church in Sardis, he says, wake up. Beginning uh, the first part of verse 2, wake up. It just means to be vigilant, to be watchful. It's the same language you would use for a night watchman that you don't want to fall asleep at the helm. Last night, we had a large tree to fall in front of the parsonage out there. You may have seen it if you drove up that direction. There was a big tree kind of on either side of the road. Um, At the middle of the night, about 2.30, Meredith woke me up, and she said, did you hear something? I hadn't heard anything. I've been sleeping so hard lately. I've been just so exhausted by the end of the day lately. I didn't hear anything. I got up to see. I thought she probably dreamed it or she's imagining it. 
And then I get up to the front of the house, and there's flashing blue lights of police cars out front of our house. So clearly there's something going on, and looked out the window, and sure enough, a massive tree had fallen. And I hadn't heard the crash or anything, or the chainsaws as people were trying to get it cut up and moved out of the roadway. But that's what was going on. I had not been being very vigilant. I would have slept through it completely. I would have not known until this morning on my way over here. And that happens to churches too. We get sleepy and we fall spiritually asleep and we stop being vigilant and we stop being watchful and we stop paying attention and we start going with the flow of the world around us. And before we know it, we've fallen spiritually asleep and we're no longer uh, responsive when Jesus speaks to us. Our eyes are no longer open to spiritual realities. They're closed just like the rest of the world. And that's a sign of a dying church. And if we want to be vibrant this Christmas, we need to be awake. We need to be watchful. We need to be aware. We need to be paying attention. Are you paying attention to how you're doing as a Christian? Are you paying attention to how we're doing as a church? How do you think we're doing as a church? Do you think we're a lively church or a dying church? Do you feel like we, as a church, which is us as individuals, that we're genuinely trusting in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and experiencing increasing freedom from our sin? Do you feel like we are truly following Jesus as our Lord and growing in our obedience to his teaching and commands together as Christians? Do you feel like we're growing more dependent upon the Holy Spirit and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in us and among us to fulfill Jesus' will as his church? Do you feel like we're growing in our knowledge of Scripture and our application of Scripture to the practical day-to-day realities of our lives? Do you feel like we're being fruitful in evangelism and proclaiming the gospel? Do you feel like our fellowship is sound and based on our shared new life in Jesus Christ? How do you think we're doing? Have you thought much about it? I have to remind myself sometimes that not everybody thinks about Doolin's Grove Church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like, I, I absolutely think about our church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I go to bed thinking about you guys. I wake up thinking about you guys. And I have to remember sometimes, and I'll talk to my fellow pastors, you know, our people are working hard. They've got a lot of responsibilities. They've got a lot going on. They've got family stuff going on. Often, well, I don't want to put words in your, words in your mouth, but I bet some of you don't think about Doolin's Grove Church until you come back on Sunday morning again, and you don't think about it throughout the week at all. Now, I'm not condemning you for that. I can understand that. But it's interesting to note that when Jesus addresses his people, he addresses them as churches. Now, sometimes he'll address individuals, and you see that in the epistles, but that's almost always couched within a letter to an entire church. That's how he views his people. That's how he's organized us. And I wonder if you think of yourself that way. As you understand your own identity, do you see yourself as part of this church? And as such, are you appropriately vigilant and concerned about how we're doing as a church? Do you think about it? Are you paying attention? Are you awake? Now, as we wanting to be responsive to the scripture, we are waking up maybe from a complete sleepy state, not having paid any attention to our own spiritual condition or our churches, or maybe just even more so because we are already alert. What do we do if when we're paying attention we see evidence of spiritual deadness or deadening happening. 
Well, we'll move on to the next imperative here. The first one is wake up. The second one, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Strengthen what remains. We see a little bit deeper into the passage that though many in this church had become spiritually deadened, there were some who were still spiritually alive and who had not fallen into the paganism around them. They had not soiled their garments, is the language that the passage use, uses here. They had a few names. Jesus, in addressing this church, basically says, that's where you start. Strengthen what remains. Don't lose hope or freak out or despair because of all the negative Look at what's still there and still alive and start with that. Strengthen what remains there. This is the way Jesus talks about how he approaches his church in John chapter 15 where he describes it where he's the vine and we're the branches. And he says when there's dead branches, what does he do with the dead branches? Does he try to coax them back to life? He actually doesn't. In that passage, he says he prunes those away. And he focuses on the living branches, those who are abiding in him and letting his words abide in them. I think our tendency as American Christians is to try to add new when we feel like things aren't going well. We need to add new. We need to get more people in here. Whereas if we listen to Jesus here, our approach might be a little different. It might be instead of, we just need to get more people in here, it would be to do everything we can to strengthen and build up those who are here. Now, I know we've noticed our attendance has been down since COVID came along, and it's been hard to build it back up, although it's encouraging to see all of you folks here this morning. It was extra encouraging to see all those folks there here last week for our annual meeting. We had 70-something people. That's big, big numbers for us lately. It can be tempted to fixate so much on those who aren't here that we forget that we've got great opportunity among those who are here right now. You see that phenomenon happen a lot in Sunday school classes, like for children where I only have one kid this week. Well, that's your one kid. That's the one to strengthen, the one who remains, the one that's there. And that's a great opportunity. So, so long as there are still people in the church, there's the opportunity to strengthen what remains. We have some small churches in our denomination. And we're, some churches in our denomination would look at us like a megachurch because there are so few single digits in some churches. When Jesus looks at them and says, strengthen what remains, think of that like embers, just blowing those embers, and it may very well spread into a fire. How do we strengthen what remains as we want to be a vibrant church? Well, let's read on into the first part of verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. So wake up, strengthen what remains, remember what you have received and heard. Now again, as American Christians, our tendency, if we start to feel like we're stagnating as a church, is we need something new. We need a new approach, a new program, a new book to read, a new thing. But as we listen to Jesus, he would point us back. He says, no, remember, you already know, you already have everything you need to be a vibrant, thriving church. 
the way to become more lively isn't some new book from the Christian bookstore. It isn't some new idea. It's the same old ideas. It's the same truth that this was all founded on. You need to remember it. You need to call it back to mind. You need not move on from this. You need not forget it. You know, we, um, I have heard of pastors genuinely say, anytime their church starts to stagnate a little bit, they introduce a new building project. I've heard that genuinely put forward as a, as a sincere strategy to keep a church lively. Well, if it's getting dull or people are starting to drift away, start a building project. Nothing energizes a church like a building project. And it does work. Pragmatically speaking, it does work. It gets everybody rallied around a tangible goal. And so it does energize a church. But what happens once that thing is built? What do you do after that? Now, that's not to say building projects are evil. Sometimes you need a building project. I'm glad for the building project that resulted in this space we're in right now. But revival doesn't come through that. Revival comes through remembering the rock-solid, life-giving truths of Scripture. That's why we spend so much time in here every week, listening to God's Word. This is where spiritual life is found. But it's not just remembering. It's also keeping which brings us to the next imperative. He says, wake up. He says, strengthen what remains. He says, remember what you received and heard. And then he says, keep what you received and heard. He says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it. Keep it. Remembering it is sort of mental. It's not forgetting what it said. Keeping it is more practical. It's living by it. It's hanging on to it through the week, not just in here on Sunday mornings. Continually obeying God's word. And then finally, what if when we're waking up and evaluating ourselves and our church this morning, this Christmas time, wanting to honor Jesus, what if we find that we're lacking in some of these areas? What do we do? The last command here, repent. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. Have you noticed that that comes up in every letter to every church? We are always continually in need of repenting because we're not perfect yet. And so the way to liveliness as a church is the way of soft-hearted repentance. Anytime you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you and convicting you of sin, repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Please empower me to turn from this to what I should be doing. And he does it. That is a prayer that he answers. So that is the prescription for revival. You know, we, we used to have annual revivals as if one could schedule reviving the church. Now, I'm not saying that those are bad or evil. I grew up having those in a Southern Baptist church all the time. And often what it would be is an outside speaker who would come in and they would often be just a little bit more intense than the normal speaker. I know it's hard for you to imagine any more intensity than I'm bringing right now. But there are people more intense and you'd bring them in, and it would sort of infuse the church with some fresh energy. And a lot of good comes from those revivals. I'm not saying they're bad. But that's not really Jesus' prescription for revival in a dying church. His prescription is to us as individual Christians to wake up and to strengthen what remains and to remember what we've received and heard and to keep it and to repent. That's the prescription for a revived church. And as we read on, we see that there are consequences and rewards, again, like all of our passages. 
to if we will pursue these things or not. And I want to read through these. And again, probably disappointingly for you, I'm not going to go real deep into a lot of these images um, because I don't feel like that's the main point for us this morning, and I'm not 150% confident I fully understand some of the imagery in these verses. But let's read them together, starting halfway through verse 3. It says, If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now, this is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is that cozy little baby that we celebrate on Christmas time. He's a grown, glorified person now. And he takes these things seriously. He says, if, if you will not turn around, I'm going to come against you in judgment. Now, usually this language is referring to the second coming, but here it's not so clear. It almost seems as if in some way he is going to come and shut this church down himself if they will not turn back. Verse 4 gets a little more positive. He says, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So here he's referring to that what remains, that remnant of people who have not sleepily wandered off into the paganism of the surrounding culture. And he says, It's good that they are there. They are going to walk with me in white, for they are worthy. That's imagery that seems to be referring to both purity and victory, which makes sense going on into verse 5, which we'll read. It says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Persevering as Christians and as a church requires conquest. We are those who conquer. Just the fact that you are here means you are currently being one of these conquerors. You, you are overcoming all of the influences that would pull you away from faithfully following Jesus Christ as part of a church. There are forces in this world that pull us away from it. There are forces in our own flesh that pull us away from it. We have a spiritual enemy in Satan himself that wants to pull us away from it. If we are going to be a vibrant church, it will be something to be conquered. It is not something that comes easily or naturally in a world designed against it. And he says, but those who conquer, those who do not turn away, clothed in white garments, never blotted out of the book of life, he says, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, which is what we're trying to do. We're trying to hear and listen. So I just want to leave you with two ideas. Briefly here. Uh, first, I do want to ask you again to evaluate yourself in our own church. Which one are we? Are we a dying church, falling asleep, growing weak, forgetful of what we've received, neglectful of what we've heard, and unrepentant? Or are we a living church that is awake, that is strengthening what remains, that is remembering and keeping what we've received and heard, that is repentant? Let's prayerfully think about these things. And I'll close with these two points. One of them is going to sound shockingly negative for an Advent sermon, but the other one is quite positive. We're going to land on that one. But the first one, based on this passage and the rest of Scripture, we have to acknowledge that Doolin's Grove Church could die. 
it is possible for church to die. And if it's possible for Sardis, these who were ministered to by the Apostle John directly, to die, it's possible for Doolin's Grove to die, it's possible for Arlington Baptist Church to die, it's possible for Elevation to die. It's possible for a church to die. We have to acknowledge it's possible for Doolin's Grove to die. I think acknowledging that possibility is healthy for us. It's possible that we could fall asleep spiritually. It's possible that we could grow weaker and weaker and weaker. It's possible that we could forget what we have received and heard and stop keeping it, practicing it. It's possible that we could grow hard-hearted and unrepentant. Yeah, I have had this theory. See, I don't really think that that's going to happen like to you specifically, that you here today receiving God's word or tomorrow going to just suddenly be seized with a hardened heart and forget everything you learned and rebel. That does happen, but I, that's not really my main concern. My concern is more generational. I used to have a theory that what happened to churches and how churches become deeply unhealthy, seemingly out of nowhere, is that one generation is genuinely trusting and following Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And through their study of the the word, they develop their church culture, the traditions and programs and ministries of the church. And then the next generation comes along, and what they inherit is the church life, but not the spiritual life that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this next generation is just trying to keep up all the traditions, keep up the programming, keep up the ministries, but it's not coming from their hearts that are enlivened by Jesus Christ. And so it becomes hollow and empty and obligatory and exhausting. And I feel like we've seen that happen in churches. I feel like that's something that you see. These days, I have a different generational concern. It's it's not so much that we might hand over to a new generation a bunch of ministries and programs that, that they may not be spiritually lively to actually carry out, My concern now is more that we won't even hand anything to the next generation or that we'll only hand it to such a small remnant of the next generation that in 30, 40 years, we just won't have new mature Christians of age to sustain the church. Uh, I've talked to some parents, you know, as I look around and see how few of our church children are really ever here. And I said, you know that our generation, I was talking to someone who's a little younger than me, but I've, I always consider myself in the same generation. Uh, for, I always consider myself in the same generation as anyone who's in our youth group for some reason, even though I'm almost 40 now. But this was someone who was in the youth group when I was first here. And I said, you know that our generation is the last one that, will, that it would be common to hear someone say, I grew up going to church. After our generation, kids aren't growing up in the church anymore, hardly. You might hear one or two say it, but it's not going to be common. In my generation, everybody you talk to grew up going to church. That's not going to be the case anymore because kids aren't growing up going to church anymore, at least not here. Now, they are growing up going to church in the mega churches where the children's ministry stuff is staffed out to paid people. But we've got a problem here. We're really struggling, and we've, strug- we've been struggling for years. And so I just want to encourage you to pray for wisdom for all those working on that and toward that. Pray for our parents. Um, Ron was elected the Sunday school superintendent next year and was talking with him about some new approaches maybe that could help to serve these parents and 
Uh, Mike has served in that role. We've talked a lot about it. But my concern, I don't think Doolin's Grove is going to die because we're all going to abandon Jesus Christ. I'm concerned that in 40, 50, 60 years, Doolin's Grove may be so weak because we have not handed the faith on to our children. That's just a concern. I don't know the future. Jesus could turn that around like that. He could bring in a flood of new believers through evangelism. I don't know what he has planned, but it is something to think about. And if that is a problem as it seems, what's the solution? Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember what we've received and heard. Keep it. Repent. That's the solution. Do the best we can with who we do have. So that's the, that's the negative. That's the alarmingly negative for an Advent sermon point. But I think we need to acknowledge it from the passage. We'll land on the positive. Negatively, we need to acknowledge Doolin's Grove could die. And we don't want that to happen. But positively, Doolin's Grove could live. Like, Doolin's Grove could be so spiritually vibrant and fruitful Now, I think we are living. I think we have a lot of evidence of fruit within our church. I look around, I see each of you as evidence of fruitfulness in the ministry of the church. So despite that last point, I'm not like discouraged or anything. But we we have everything we need right at hand here, even as we stand in this room, to thrive as a vibrant, fruitful, lively, spiritually alive church. Because it's not like a magic trick, and it doesn't require some outside consultant to come in, and it doesn't require anything like that. All we need is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the new life and transformation he brings through faith and allegiance to him. All we need is the Holy Spirit that he has promised to give to us. All we need is his powerful, true word. And all we need to do is to wake up, strengthen what remains, Remember what we've received and heard. Keep it and repent. So let's pray for these things. Let's pray that we would be a vibrant, lively church to honor our Lord Jesus Christ this Christmas. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for allowing us to be your church at all. We know that we are not your church because we've earned it, because we are so great, but it's only by your forgiveness and mercy and grace And we submit ourselves to you based on this passage. Would you help us to not just have a reputation for being alive, but to be genuinely alive? Help us to be vigilant and wakeful spiritually. Help us to strengthen what remains. Help us to build each other up in Christ through our conversations and our ministries here as a church. Help us to remember and keep what we have received and heard. And where there is sin in us, help us to repent. In Jesus' name, amen.